We are glad, glad that you're here, and, and we are. We're going to dive into probably one of the most famous stories. Um, you turn on ESPN, and if a team that was small beat a team that is large, they call it a David and Goliath-type win. Uh, you don't even have to be in church to hear David and Goliath thrown around. It is something that our culture is just familiar with. Um, we're going to dive into that tonight. Before we do, um, I want to make aware a resource to you. Um, Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio. Um, I would highly recommend this book. We had them in the lobby, but y'all come to the 707, and it's really hard to predict how many will get purchased before you guys show up. So we ran out. We will have more for next week. But, but here's what I would say about this. If you personally or you know someone that is battling fear, anxiety, um, comfort, and just a whole list of giants, potential giants in their life. If you know someone, then this book is phenomenal to help. It's very, very practical, um, and it's designed to help people through through um, the giants in their life. So I would highly recommend that. I don't get any money off of this. The church doesn't make any money out there, just so you all know. Um, it's just something that I, I truly believe that God has given the planet godly men, and some godly men have a gift of putting words on page, and those pages can change our experience in our life. So um, that is available. It is David and Goliath, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. Um, I grew up in traditional church, and by traditional church, I mean they called it Sunday school. Like I went to Sunday school as a kid. Okay, can we just, just one moment? Sunday school... That is a bad choice of name for a kid that hated school. Now you're going to make me go to school on Sunday. That's just dumb. Um, so I would go to Sunday school, and when you would get there, there was a teacher doing their absolute best with this thing called a flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? Right? I mean, it was like the screen of the day. You know what I'm saying? And, and this flannel graph, they had characters. So it was like this material that they would take these characters, and as you told the story, they would pin it on it. But here's the problem. Goliath was big, and gravity's real. And so halfway through, Goliath would start to fold in half, and the teacher's like trying to pin Goliath back up and tell you this story. And I I grew up in a world where David and Goliath was real. It, it, it's a story that happens, and, and you were constantly told, you can be a David. And so I, in high school, I went, I can be a David. You know what I'm saying? And so there was a girl who I might have liked, and she was being mistreated by a guy. And I used what God gave me, which was my mouth, and I ran my mouth at this guy, right? Because this guy needed to know. I mean, David, when David goes down on the battlefield, as we'll see later, he runs his mouth. So, so this guy ran, I went and ran my mouth on behalf of this girl. What I didn't know is this guy had learned along the way, one, that you get the first blow in and get it hard enough, the fight is over. And so as I'm running my mouth, the fight was over because he grabbed my shirt, jumped up, headbutted me in the nose, Blood was everywhere. I don't remember a whole lot after that, right? David didn't beat Goliath that day, just so you know. But you may have grown up with a version of this story. You may come to this story with preconceived ideas. You may have even had a twinge in your spirit of, ah, oh, that story. I hope that tonight, when you leave, you have a whole new, a whole new view of this old story. And I hope that by the time we get to the end, you may just see it in a way that you've never seen it. And so if you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
If you don't have a Bible, the Bible app is a phenomenal way to get the Word of God into your hand at any given time, because you may not know, you may never know when you need it. Um, so Bible app's phenomenal, but 1 Samuel chapter 17, there are 54 verses roughly that tell this story. We have roughly about 35 minutes, and so 54 verses in 35 minutes ain't going to work. So I'm going to story tell. We'll jump in on some of the verses when, when we need to, and then we'll story tell and wrap this thing up in a new way. So as you open 1 Samuel 17, what you'll notice is there are, in verse 1, there are two camps that are set up. There is the Israelites, and they're about 15 miles from Jerusalem, and there's the Philistines, and in between, there's a valley. And that valley specifically has been drawn as the line in the sand, the battle line, if you like, between these two armies. And traditionally, what's supposed to happen now is these two armies are going to fight. Whichever one is left standing is, is the winner. Whoever runs away first is the loser. That, that's the way these battles work. The only problem is the Philistines flip the script on the, on the Israelites. What happens is they send down this guy named Goliath. So Goliath starts marching down. He's been doing this now for 40 days. And when he gets to the bottom, he begins to yell at the armies of God. Now, something we need to know about Goliath. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches. Now, there are people that want to dispute and say the manuscripts are different. And if you take other manuscripts, he's actually only six foot nine. Here's the problem with that. King Saul was made king because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. It's believed that King Saul was six foot six. If Goliath was six foot nine, that doesn't make him a giant. That makes him pretty close to the height of the king. The king would have gone down and taken him out. We're going to go with the biblical approach that he was nine foot nine. To give you a little perspective of that, there was a man named Robert Wadlow that was born in Illinois in 1918. He grew to the size of 8 feet 11 inches before he died at the age of 22. He was still growing. This is what he looked like with his dad. He was 439 pounds the day he died. His dad, by the way, is 5 foot 11, just to give you a little bit of perspective of how big that dude is. We would call this man a giant. Now, Goliath, nine foot nine. David, who is the hero of the story, is believed to be five foot three. Just to give you a little perspective, if this is, if this is a, a heavyweight fight, which David wouldn't be in because he's going to be a lightweight anyways, but let's say he's in a heavyweight fight, he's giving an awful lot of reach, awful lot of size. He's going to get pummeled if this is a boxing match, right? That's, that's just a perspective. Now, this giant, he marches down there. He's got this, this armor on this like, it's made of bronze, but they're like fish scales. And the armor alone, as he lumbers down this hillside to yell at the Israelites, this armor weighs 126 pounds. It covers his upper body down to his knees, and he marches down. And on top of that, he's got brass covering his shins, brass covering his feet, and a metal helmet on his head. This guy is covered in metal. In his hand, he has a javelin. In the other side, he has a spear. The spear has an iron tip on it that weighs 15 pounds by itself. He has this spear. The spear has weights on it, and it has a rope. And it was believed that he could be extremely accurate with that spear. On top of that, he has a sword that is across his back. And he lumbers down for 40 days, gets to the bottom, and the Bible calls him the champion. Now, if the Bible calls you the champion, there's a pretty good chance that you are 
the champion. You know what I'm saying? This isn't like Mike Tyson back in the day before Mike Tyson went crazy. You know, when Mike Tyson could beat anybody in a fight and he could talk it up. This isn't that Mike Tyson. This isn't Muhammad Ali, right? This is, this is the Bible saying this is the champ. And he stings like a bee, believe it or not. But on top of that, on top of that, when he gets down there, he begins to talk about defying the Israelites, God. And the Israelites, it says that they are dismayed and they run away in terror. They actually flee at the sight of him. Enter a shepherd boy who is on a mission that his daddy sent him on. See, in those days when our armies camped like that, the supplies would come from the families to the people on the front. So David, the shepherd boy, he's bringing supplies to the front. His dad sends him with supplies for his brothers and for the rest of the army to be shared and then they would receive spoils from the war, and it would be kind of this give and take. So, so he's sent with supplies. Specifically, he's spent with supplies of bread and cheese, a.k.a. pizza. He is a pizza delivery boy. In the early, early, early times, he was the pizza delivery boy. Now, just because I want to be nice, anybody want pizza? Ready? Give you a plate. It's hot, by the way. I just ordered it. Yeah? You want some? You want some? Okay, I want you to get something right now, though, okay? I want you to get something right now. Hold on one sec. He's a pizza delivery boy. Don't ever let your occupation determine your value in the kingdom of God. He was a pizza delivery boy. He showed up to provide bread and cheese. And in the process, he changed the nation. 400 miles? You should take two. <laughs> right there. Take it to him. Cool. Take it to him. Take one piece, and then I got two I got to give to somebody special. I have guys that sit and listen to me five times a day. Take them, brother. Give one to T or whoever. Don't ever let your occupation determine your value in the kingdom of God. A pizza boy showed up that day, and he changed the entire course of a nation. The next time your doorbell rings, and it's a delivery boy, I hope you remember a little story called David and Goliath. What we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to learn lessons from a pizza delivery boy tonight. And so what happens is David shows up and as David comes, he's got his supplies, he's got his pizza. And when he gets to the line, when he gets up close enough to the line, he hears the army battle cries. He drops his supplies with the keeper of the supplies. He heads over, he looks over the ridge and hears this giant and the giant is talking down about his God. And instantly David starts to go, hey, that's not okay. Who's gonna do something about this? What will happen if somebody doesn't? Some people go, well, King David said that the family, the family would um, not have to pay taxes for a year. And, well, he's got a daughter. You can marry her. 
Like, like there, there's some perks to going down and killing this. And he begins to continue to ask questions. And remember in week one when Pastor Mike talked about the choosing, remember they passed by the brothers and they moved on to who? David, right? And they passed by the brothers who were big in stature. Guess where the brothers are? They're a part of this army. And as David starts to ask questions, Eliab comes across one of the older, the oldest brother comes over and goes, why are you even talking? If you've been a younger brother, you understand this moment because according to older brothers, you shouldn't breathe, let alone talk, right? It's just the way it is. And so he begins to say, why are you talking? You shouldn't be talking right now. And he just kind of ignores him and goes, why, why not? Who's going to do something? And as this conversation unfolds, it gets back to King Saul. And then this begins in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Okay, hang on a second. You got to picture this. Nine foot nine giant covered in armor, standing, bellowing. And here now is this five foot three, nothing with a staff. And he's got a bag. He's dropped his pizza. He still smells like pizza because if you've ever delivered pizza, you know you smell like it, right? And now he's, he's standing there and he goes, hey, 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 king, king, king. It's okay. Don't lose heart. Nation of Israel, don't lose heart. I got this. Okay, if you're the king, you're going, you got what? Notice his response. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. You're only a young man. King Saul's eyes are on what? What we normally look at when we see a giant, when we see an enemy, his eyes went to stature and size. His eyes went to skill. And he goes, you know what? Man, he's a warrior and you're just a boy. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. First lesson from a pizza delivery boy. You ready? Know who you are. Know who you are. If you are going to face a giant, if you are going to face the giants in your life, because we all got them, you got to first know who you are. Here's what I mean. He instantly puts himself, your servant, he puts himself under his position. He doesn't try and stand outside. He doesn't go, I'm a warrior. I'm a big deal. He doesn't do any of that. He goes, your servant has been keeping the sheep. He knows who he is. He knows his history. He knows how he got there in that moment. The question is, church, do we know who we are? That if we're going to face giants, we better know who we are. And here's what I mean. Because when, if I ask you the question, who are you? Do you know who you are? The response should be, yes, I know who I am. Because of Jesus, I am a victor. Because of Jesus, I have overcome. Because the grave is empty, there is no giant that is still able to beat me. Because I am in Christ Because Jesus is in me, there is nothing on this planet that I cannot defeat. That is who you are. David knew who he was. He knew that he was a child of the king of Israel, of the God of Israel. He knew where he belonged. He knew that he was was a big deal in God's eyes. And so he stands on that and he goes, to prove it, he goes, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Our servant has killed both the lion and the bear. 
This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Second thing, second lesson from a pizza delivery boy. Know who God is. You got to know who you are. You got to know you're standing before God. You got to know that you're in Christ. You got to know that you're a victor. You need to know those things. The second thing you need to know, you need to know who God is. In this case, he's very, very clear. He understands God provided and rescued me here. God will rescue me here. Why? Because this is about the name of God. This is about God has been defied and that's not okay. And this God will show up and stand for himself. The question is for us when we face our giants, when we stand in the face of our giants, when they start bellowing, do we see our giants bigger or smaller than the God we profess to follow? This past week, I was, I had the privilege of sitting somewhere where there's very little light pollution, which means the stars are just phenomenal. Clear skies every single night. And as I'm looking at the stars one night, I start to get this, this image in my mind of and almost a whisper going, what does it look like from the other direction? Like I look this way, I'm like, man, it's so vast. And, and that's just what I can see here. And I started like imagining what does it look like looking from the other side? What, what does it look like to see the vastness? And then it was almost like another whisper went, and I got it all in my hand. See that God, who's holding the entire unknown universe as well as the known, that God can defeat my giants. In fact, language that becomes helpful is my God is bigger than fill in the blank. See what happens when I know who God is? The giant doesn't look like a giant anymore. When, when I know who God is, all of a sudden the giant becomes, becomes downsized from what it was, all because I know who my God is. My God is able. And once you say that, game over for anything else. Anything that wants to have a noise in your life, guess what? All you got to go back with is my God is bigger than and he is able. And at that point, it's done. Game over. Step back one more. I know who I am. Who am I? I'm one that's been set free. I'm one that's been, that, I'm one that stands in Christ and Christ has defeated that giant. That giant has no voice in my life. See, all of a sudden, when I know who I am and I know who God is, it starts to frame up the whole battle a little different. Carries on. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you, which he didn't really believe it because look what he says next. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. See, what was happening was, was when Goliath came out and he would call what he was flipping on them as he was saying, hey, let's don't send the whole army. You just send me one person to fight me hand to hand. Just send one. I'm the champion of the Philistines. You send your champion. Whoever wins, the other side will serve them. We'll save a ton of bloodshed. Let's just do this civilly in a hand-to-hand combat. See, the problem is King David is still under the assumption that 
or not King David, King Saul is under the assumption that David is going to go down and what? Fight the Philistine, fight the enemy on whose grounds? The enemies. He's still under the assumption that the enemy gets to set the rules for the battle. It doesn't have to be that way, by the way. You don't have to go through life letting the enemy choose the rules for your battle. He said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Why? Because he knows what, who he is. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Next lesson from a pizza delivery boy. Know your weapon. Know your weapon. Here's what I mean. David clearly knew that his weapon wasn't what? King Saul. He knew that he, didn't, he wasn't going to wear all this armor and carry a sword. He knew that wasn't what? wasn't him. He knew that that wasn't his strength. He knew that that weapon was, was Saul's to fight with. It wasn't David's. There's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of church people that are trying to fight giants in their life. And, and I, I'm here to tell you, don't take, I'm not like telling you, I'm telling you. Does that make sense? Hopefully, right? You're fighting with the wrong thing. See, somewhere along the way, you got convinced that self-help books there's some kind of programs, there's some kind of like self-discipline, that, that this is how you accomplish the, the destruction of that giant. The problem is they can only take you so far. You know why? Because they are only as big as you are. And I don't know if you've noticed, and I'll pick on me, I'm not very big. And my self-will at times is not very strong. And it doesn't take long before I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've worked really hard only to have my giant defeat me again. Only for my giant to show up and start knocking again. Only for my giant to start whispering lies again. And we begin to go, well, I did all this and nothing works. That's because you're fighting with the wrong weapon. The weapon that you have been given, if you like, the stone that you pick up is the stone of faith. Your weapon is faith. And anytime you get outside of faith, your weapon, you're using the wrong weapon. Here's what I mean. Faith takes me back where? My God is really, really big. Faith takes me back where? This is not my battle. This battle has already been won at the cross. Faith takes me when I'm in the face of my giant. I can look at my giant and go, you can't touch me because of who my God is. Because of, that's faith. It takes faith to stand in that moment and go, I don't have to conjure up something to fight you. I just need to anchor into the one that's already given the victory. See how it works? Faith, faith, according to Hebrews, it's impossible to please God without what? Faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the weapon that we wield. And anytime we wield a weapon that's of us, you are going to lose. Anytime I wield a weapon that is of faith and a big God, I'm going to win. I'm going to conquer. Why? Because it's not me. It's him. And it changes everything. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. Why? Why did he need to come closer? He was carrying a javelin, a spear, and a sword. They are all close range, what? Weapons. If the enemy was going to do any damage to David... 
He needed to engage him on his terms and in his space. He needed to pull him close enough that his weapons could actually do something. And so he moves closer to David. Next verse. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Okay, that verse is funny. Because if you translate it a different way, it sounds like this. Goliath looked at him and went, Oh, you're young and good looking. I just hate you. Right? He just hates him because he's young and good looking. Okay, next verse. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. Your enemy will always try and get you where he knows his weapons are the most effective. Your enemy will always try and pull you in. Your enemy will always try. He knows. He knows the limitations of his weapons. And he will always try and pull you in where he can get you close enough to use them. By the way, this is probably the worst invitation ever. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Okay, I'll be over. Um, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Next lesson from a pizza delivery boy. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. In fact, I would would put it this way. Put a name on your giant. Put a name on it. Like, you know how we do it in church? You ever, you ever notice that? We do like the secret prayer. Oh man, just pray for me. I'm just kind of in a battle right now. Well, that's cool. What are you fighting? Oh, you know, just, just a little bit of like, I don't know, just, just not feeling quite right. You see, as long as you stay in vague, the enemy keeps taking ground. The minute you put a name on something, like I'm struggling with anxiety. My anxiety is through the roof. I can't sleep at night. Now now I put a name on it. Guess what? Guess what? The Bible, Bible talks about anxiety. The Bible talks about how by faith you attack anxiety, right? The Bible talks about how you overcome faith or you overcome anxiety by faith. And it's this weapon called what? We take prayer by faith. We take prayer and we start to wield it. See, see how this works. When I start to put a name to it, now all of a sudden I know how my enemy's going to attack. You know your enemy. How easy was it for David, by the way, if all of the enemy's tools were, or all the enemy's weapons were close range weapons, what does he have to do? Stay away. He can't touch you if you stay outside of the range of his weapons. Who has the upper hand at that point? David does. Why? Because he knows his enemy. Do you know your enemy? By the way, don't be surprised when the enemy starts to whisper lies to you. Don't be surprised. Why? Because the Bible's full of the enemy. Well, what? He's a liar. He's the father of lies, he's called. So the enemy is going to come in your ear and he's going to start to tell you lies. He's going to start to tell you things that aren't quite true. Why? Because if he can get you to believe him, he can move you away. There's another verse in the Bible that talks about the enemy that says that he is roaming around looking for who he can devour. Now, now that language that's used in there is actually distract. And I can't think of anything better than, and I'll pick on all of Western culture instead of just an American dream, right? Because you go to any Western country, it's the same thing. 
I'm just trying to work really hard to build this kingdom. I'm just trying, trying to work really hard that, that, man, if I can just get that secure and I can just get this secure and I can just acquire that, then all of a sudden I have everything I need. And, and what you're really saying is I've become God and I've got everything covered. And what the enemy's done is he's just slightly moved you away. And it's not long before your faith and your trust is in you and not in God anymore. See, know your enemy. If I know the enemy's trying to distract me, then it's really easy. What? When the, by the way, this is the, the Jala for this weekend. Hey, Jala. Um, you like that, the Jala? It's like, <laughs> the Jala. Um, and where were we? Distractions. Wow. 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 So that makes you the enemy. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, so, but here's the thing, right? If I know the enemy's tactic in my life is just to move me a little bit this way, then what do I have to do? Man, I fight hard. I fight hard to keep my eyes where? Where it's supposed to be. The author and perfecter of my faith. I keep them on him. See how it works? If I know he's going to attack with lies, then all I got to do is know truth. And the minute a lie shows up, I know it's a lie. That, that's how this thing works, right? If I know my enemy, and that's what David's saying, I know you're going to come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. So guess what? I know how you're going to attack. That gives me the upper hand now in this fight. He says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Next verse. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The Lord will deliver you. And when he does, I'll strike you down. I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the what? Whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Next verse. All those gathered here will know, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is whose? the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Last lesson from a pizza delivery boy. Know your motivation. Know your motivation. Maybe better put, know your purpose. Why do you get up tomorrow morning? Like seriously, what gets you out of bed? What, what ignites your soul that is worth doing this thing called life? What is it that, that when you go toe-to-toe with your giant, what is it, your, your motivation, your purpose for even doing that? You see, for David, it's really clear. He goes, man, the whole world will know. The whole world, by the way, we weren't even in existence then, and yet here we are, the whole world still talking about what? A little five-foot dude with a nine-foot dude in a battle. And we're going to talk about what? How God gave him the victory. See how it works? What's your motivation? See, see your freedom. When you know who you are, you're free, right? You're free in Christ. Christ has set you free. He conquered your giants. You are free from them, right? He's already killed them. You just have to go and claim, right? Okay, okay, so he set you free, right? What's your freedom for? That by faith, you would show the world who he is. 
That when you wake up tomorrow, your mission, no matter your occupation, no matter where you are, your mission is what? I'm going to walk and do what I got to do today, but this is really about showing off what? Him. And when you run into places where it's not happening, you go, hold up, hold up, time out. Who's going to do something about this? And more than likely, God's going to look at you and go, you, because this is why you woke up today. Put me on display. Show him my glory. Show him what I'm like. Show him how big I am. See, here's the thing. If you wake up and it's for you, you ever, you ever by the way, see somebody who's really rich and they, they got everything they want, but their life is really, really, really small. You know why that is? Because they're really, really small. When you start to dream on God's size, when you, when you start to wake up going, man, my motivation today is his glory. And I'm going to take my freedom and use it for that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, your world, your life gets really, really, really big. I never thought that my daughter would be going to the Czech Republic tomorrow on a mission trip. Never thought. I didn't do anything special. You know what? She woke up going, my life has purpose and it's about him. Hey, how about if I do this? Cool. And she's joining a group from this church that are going, we're just going to go put God on display in the Czech Republic. And the world is going to know God. Why? Because a little group in Prescott went, man, we're going to wake up with a motivation today. We're going to wake up because we got a purpose today. We're going to wake up and we're going to step out. And that giant's dead. So that giant ain't taking me. Why? Because I got stuff. One off for me. For his glory. So I'm going to step out. Next verse. As the Philistine moved closer. Why? Because that's where his weapons were to attack him. David ran Quickly. While the Israelites were backing away in fear, David is running to the giant. Why? Because he's so convinced in who he is, who God is, that by faith he's going to defeat him. He has his weapon. He knows his weapon. He knows that, that in this moment, this is what the enemy's going to do. So as he goes, he grabs a rock and he puts it in his sling and he begins to swing it. And it starts in small circles at first and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally he lets it rip. And as he lets it rip, did you know? know that that rock traveled 34 meters a second. That's 111 feet a second. It's believed that he was inside of 34 meters already. That means the, the giant went down in less than a second. The rock flew, hit him square between the eyes, rocked him back. He tries to take a step forward because his weapons only work where? Where it's close. And down he goes on his face. David jumps up, runs over, grabs a sword off his back and lops off his head. The giant is dead. Your giant is dead. You know why? Because Jesus has already done that to your giant. Your giant doesn't own you tonight. Your giant doesn't own you tomorrow. He's already been conquered. You got to stand and you got to stand in the story where you are in Christ and in Christ you're a victor and in Christ the victory is already won and by faith go, it's already done. That's the story I was told. That's the story I grew up with. The five-foot guy beat the nine-foot guy, and it was an underdog story. I want to share something with you. It's not an underdog story. You see, in those days, there were three kind of fighters. There was horsemen and chariots. There was infantry, which is what Goliath was. And there was combat projectiles projectile warriors, right? And that was archers 
and these people known as slingers. And in a game of rock, paper, scissors, right? Slingers always beat who? Infantry. So, so back, back in the day, there's, there's recorded, um, documented historical facts on slingers. That, that there was Irish slingers that they were said that if you took a coin and put it as far away as the eye could see, an Irish slinger could hit that coin and knock it off of wherever it was. It was believed that from 200 yards away, a slinger could inflict a deadly blow on an enemy. The, the, the Israeli, one of the Israeli military commanders did some research to figure out what, what was this that David was doing. And the equivalent he came up with is that Goliath went into battle with a sword and David went into battle with a handgun. Who's going to win? Why? Because way before he was in that battle with Goliath, way back here, God had been preparing a pizza delivery boy. Oh, he'd been preparing him here for the battle there. God is preparing you today, by the way, for the battle of tomorrow. And God had been preparing him and God had built him and built him to be what? An expert with which weapon? The sling. All he had to do was know who he was, know who his God was, walk into the battle knowing his weapon, know your enemy, and have the motivation that, man, God is going to get all the credit for this win. And he walked onto that battlefield and he had the upper hand. Now flip it to you. Your story of David and Goliath, you're not the underdog. You're not the underdog. You know why? Because remember who you are. Christ is in what? Who? Christ is in you. You've already conquered. Why? Because Christ has conquered. When you go onto the battlefield, your giant's already dead. The giant's already been defeated. The giant's already down for the count. You are not the underdog. What that means is tomorrow, tonight, whenever the, the Goliath in your life starts to talk, you know what you do? You start to claim victory where? In Christ. You start to claim victory and my God is bigger than you, so you need to shut it. You need to know your weapon. It's faith. You need to know your enemy. How does he attack you? When does he attack you? Why does he attack you there? What is he trying to get at? And then you need to, by, by faith, start to go, I am not going to get where you want me to be because you're dead. And my motivation is I'm going to have one heck of a story to show the world of how powerful my God is. That's the story of David and Goliath. So God, we come before you. We come before the maker, the maker of heaven and earth. We come before the one who is a star breather. We come before the one who has conquered death. We come before one who left an empty tomb to prove that the battle is won. God, I pray for those in the room tonight that their giants have been talking. The giants have been intimidating. The giants have been closing in. They've been moving closer. God, I pray that tonight they would recognize that their giant is dead because of you. 
that they would lean into you, the giant slayer. God, that they would find victory in you tonight. God, I pray for us as a church, as a family, that we would be a group of people who so seriously live with the motivation of your glory and your fame and your name being put on display, that God will do anything, will take down whatever giants to put you on display. That the world may know that you are God from a little church in tiny Prescott because we chose to live like we really are, trust in who you really are. that we'd have the faith to walk it out, God. Give us the faith to walk it out. And that you would take the glory. So thank you for the cross and an empty tomb that makes all of this possible. And everybody said, amen.